Welcome to Trinity University's Learning Together podcast series. I'm Nathan Cohn, class of 1995, your host. I work at Texas Public Radio in San Antonio, where we sometimes characterize what NPR does as the nation's biggest continuing education course. That's why I'm excited to be introducing this series featuring faculty, alumni, and other distinguished guests who've established themselves as experts in their fields. Playing in the jazz band at Trinity University helped solidify the friendship between today's two guests, Rushton Hurley and Dr. Luis Martinez. You'll hear their mutual enthusiasm borne out in this conversation. Rushton graduated in 1989 and is a longtime educator. Rushton is the founder and executive director of Next Vista for Learning and the author of Making Your Teaching Something Special. Dr. Martinez graduated in 1991 and today is the director of Trinity University's entrepreneurship program. Their conversation covers the challenges faced in building great teaching teams, what it means to look at education through a Silicon Valley lens, and the work Rushton does around the world to help make schools the best they can be. So, Rushton, it's really great talking with you. You've had a lot of incredible experience as an educator, you know, innovating what's happening in the classroom, innovating how it is that you teach teachers. Um, your two books actually really speak specifically about, you know, how to innovate in schools and how to innovate for teachers. But really, I think that sort of looking at your background and seeing the TED Talks that you've talked about, you, you really sort of have a larger conversation to talk about with regards to the insights that you have as an educator and how that might influence all sorts of other sort of organizations, both businesses and nonprofits. One of the things that caught me from what you said from an earlier TED Talk that you had recorded was that entrepreneurship is about making something new. It's about acting on imagination. And so being a teacher in Silicon Valley, which is sort of like the, the, the hotbed of sort of innovation and entrepreneurship, from your perspective and what you've learned from the experience that you've had, what makes a great school? So it, it's certainly the case that out here in the San Francisco Bay Area that, that uh, exciting ideas are the currency of the realm, right? Energy and ideas in a sense. Uh, and so for teachers, that's actually not far from where it's always been important, right? I mean, what we need teachers to do is to carry an enthusiasm and passion uh, and an organization about their ideas into the classroom such that students begin to see new possibilities for themselves. And a lot of teachers have really stepped in that space where, uh, where they say, you know, what is it I can do that would be a little bit different that might allow me to reach uh, another yeah, another kid, right? Reach that next kid. And so I, I see great schools as communities where, where failure is actually just that step towards figuring out what needs to be figured out. You know, we learn from our failures. That's how you get to success. That's very much a Silicon Valley idea. Uh, great schools are places where uh, people are always exploring new ways to address the challenges that they face every day. And that where there's a focus on what each person makes happen and can learn to make happen as part of a team is what makes the place a good one to be both personally and professionally. Wow, Rushton, I mean, you're saying crazy talk here, right? I mean, you're saying it schools should be a place where, where failure is something that happens and in sort of this realm of like, you know, standardized tests and schools that are failing and getting report cards. I mean, this, this really is sort of a radical notion that failure is something we should accept at schools. How, how do you sort of work with schools and school districts to have that kind of mindset in sort of the, the light of the current environment? Well, what, what motivates people to change is, is less statistics and more story, as, as I see it, at least in the space of educational uh, settings, professionally speaking, right? So, so when you begin to think about uh, getting people to explore new possibilities for their work, uh, 
starting with stories has proved uh, effective for me, trying to help people see that sense of, oh, you know, I mean, yes, that's why that matters to me. Uh, test scores are not unimportant, right? Mm-hmm. But but we're we're constantly in that space in education where uh, where we're we're doing what is <laughs> what is sometimes called mistaking your finger for the moon, right? <laughs> um, where it's like, yeah, but but if all we talk about is scores, we're not truly talking about the things that lead to people being confident learners, people who can sit down at any given kind of test and and re- respond in a way that allows them to succeed at the best of of their preparation and ability. So, so much of what, what matters comes down to how we begin to think about who we are and, and how we approach what we do. And I think that's a function of people you know, feeling a difference via a story. So, I mean, that's an interesting perspective. And, and I think it's something that's informed by your experience as an educator that teaches language, right? I mean, how is that kind of different than educators that might teach, you know, English or philosophy or, I'm sorry, philosophy is not in high school, but uh, teachers that teach English or, or calculus in, in high school? How is that sort of experience different? So, uh, I, I, at least for me, that comes from the personal experience of learning a language. When I, when I was a junior uh, at Trinity, I, I spent a semester in Japan, and I went there not because I was all focused on Japanese or something. It was just an opportunity to study Asian religious history, which is what I thought was really cool and interesting. And uh, and so anyway, so I started studying Japanese language, and it was so different than anything I'd studied before uh, that, that it was just fascinating to me, right? And I was getting to use it, like, right then and there. Mm-hmm. And, and that immediate application of what I was learning in a setting where people were responding to my efforts in all sorts of, uh, you know, cool and encouraging ways uh, was was life-changing, right? You know, I think that for for me as a language teacher, getting students to understand that they can make rapid progress is an interesting opportunity at, say, the high school level, because many students have already uh, built preconceptions about their abilities with other, other subjects. But once they step into a language class, if I can just get them to, say, do the homework and, and, <laughs> and study, and in six weeks, you know, they're, they're reading hiragana and katakana and, and, and getting into that space where they're like, wow, I, I can do this, and people are impressed, right? You know, they're like, you can read that? That's crazy, right? Uh, and so, so having a personal experience about learning is something that builds confidence in a way that's important for that person seeing him or herself as an integral part of, of the setting, whether that's a classroom or a or a business or whatever it might be. So because, you know, the emphasis then is on sort of literacy and fluency, it's taking a look at every opportunity to then sort of practice and learn and getting immediate feedback. Yeah, you know, so much comes down with learning a language, not to, uh, you know, not to the, the particular textbook or, or, or anything like that. It really just comes down to attitude. Yeah, I like that. Like there was a guy that uh, came out to Japan on the same program I did, who at the time he arrived had no ability, right? He had no particular ability at all. No, no particular, he had no ability with the language. And, uh, and so anyway, he came and visited me where I was stationed, right, on, on the islands in the far western part of Japan, about six weeks into it, and he was speaking a lot of Japanese. And I was like, oh, my God, this guy's developed so much, so much ability in so short a time. Well, it was clear why. Everything he learned, he would inflict on everybody around him and smile doing it. And, and the natives thought he was just amazing, right, and, just, and loved them. And, and that, that's the attitude. Whatever it is we're learning, try it out. What can this do? You know, hey, how does this sound? Did I get it right? What do you think? You know, and and that, that approach means that you can learn far more rapidly than, than in any uh, far more controlled uh, curriculum uh, might allow.
Yeah, that was something that sort of I noticed, and it, you know, it's your insight as an educator that's focused on 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 language. You know, it, a lot of the innovation that we see in in education in K through twelve is informed by what we see in the STEM disciplines, is formed what we're seeing sort of in writing and history. But your perspective as a language teacher really gives us an additional insight and way of really helping schools. Um, some of the things that you touched about in sort of making your school something special. Um, you know, what are some of the great great key points from that book that you feel would be important things to share? So, so one of the, the most important themes in that book is that it is important to foster and share stories of success. So there are all kinds of good things happening in most schools, uh, you know, and, and you know, it, it's just that we don't talk about it often. We don't have a culture of discussing success, and, and that may seem bizarre, right? But on the other hand, uh, you know, think of the interpersonal issues that may be in play. Uh, if, if one teacher is talking about something great that happened in his or cla- her classroom, uh, what, what if other people respond, oh, that person's bragging, how annoying. You know, you know no, 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 no. You know, our, our job is not to protect fragile adult egos. Our job is to find every last thing we can to reach the next kid. And so if, if you know, someone is explaining some success in a class, even if they're doing it fairly obnoxiously, I have to listen in such a way that would allow me to take something from it and reach the next kid in my class. So, so that's, that's the start of it. But when we begin thinking about uh, fostering and sharing successes, we're really talking about how we use the stories of the successes to build our community and to build an understanding in the larger community about what we do. So how do you do that? Telling stories, right? So I, I think, for example, of uh, this, this school not far from, from where I'm sitting at the moment in, in my house in San Jose, a uh, place where uh, they have this special program to get uh, more fathers and father figures involved in kids' education. They call it Dads and Dudes on Duty Day, right? And so on a particular day, uh, kids' dads and, and special dudes, these might be uncles or grandparents or, or even neighbors that they're close to or whatever, will, will come to the school and participate in activities for a couple of hours. And it's really quite moving to see it, right? You know, they get about a third of the student body represented with these, these folks, and they organize the, uh, the event so that, uh, uh, that everybody can, can be involved, you know, with, with these uh, fathers who are reading to the groups and playing with them outside and all of this stuff. And, and the fathers have all these great things to say. How do I know all this? Because they made a video. They made like this two-and-a-half, three-minute video about the experience, and it is moving to watch it because every school wants more fathers involved in the education of the children. But this school managed to nail it with a really good program, and they told us about it through a video that makes us go, oh, my God, we got to do that at our school. So the video, sort of by telling the story of the impact of having these fathers in their school, helped make that program a success? I believe that it, that, that program was already a success. But okay. what, it, what it does is it... it allows them to see what they do from the lens of, can we tell our story of any given program at that level? And it also puts it out there so that, so that different, th- uh, different schools and different places might choose to try and adapt it for themselves. Now, what, when, I'm, when I'm training teachers and school leaders on, on these kinds of topics, one of the things that I'll ask is, what is happening at your school that is so phenomenal that you wouldn't want any child anywhere deprived of the experience? And how do you tell that story? How do you bring that to the level so that it is the kind of story that other people would, would stop and watch and say, oh, that's amazing what's happening at your school, right? For any organization, that's the key. What is it you do, and, and why is it important, and how do you tell that story so that people care? 
So it's having schools share their stories in ways that are meaningful, that then other schools and other programs are like, yeah, like we can do that or we can see that insight or better yet, we can we can tweak that to serve our own needs. Is that sort of like capture sort of the emphasis on this sort of sharing of stories? That's exactly it, right? And, and share, sharing stories is a function of confidence. Uh, teachers in, on, on a team at a school will, will, will tell each other about things that are happening based on their confidence that, that people will respond well, that they can talk about it constructively, things like that. The same can hold true for organizations, right, where, where schools that are confident about the things they're doing get it out there, and, and other schools say, we can learn from that and try it out too, and hopefully come back and say, hey, here's, here's a, a, a twist we, we brought to that idea, and it worked really well for our, our students. And maybe the original school will be like, wow, we need to do that too. So the telling of stories actually dovetails to um, a nonprofit that you founded, actually. So you started Next Vista for Learning, um, and can you tell us a little bit of what that project was and, and what your vision for that was? Sure. So, so it, is, it is an online library, a free library of videos by and for teachers and students everywhere, free to use, free to contribute to, free to download from, all for a student audience, all screened content, my own little attempt to save the world from ignorance, one creative video at a time. <laughs> That's my little pitch right there, right? But, but the reason I started it uh, is because I, I, had, I had ideas on this. You know, I, I had seen so many kids disconnected from, uh, from their educational opportunities in different places, and I thought, you know, this is an issue of confidence, right, where, where kids stop believing that they can, they can tap into what schools offer and, and let that shape some interesting future for them. And so I thought, well, wh- where do they lose that? Well, maybe what they do is they're in class one day and the teacher explains something, and they think, I just am not getting this. And so they go up to the teacher afterwards and say, so, uh, you know, could you explain this to me? And they get the same explanation they didn't understand the first time. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a very short path to, oh, it's me. I'm no good at math, writing, science, you know, fill in the blank, right? And so I thought, wouldn't it be cool if there was an online space where, where people had made these very short videos uh, so that if you didn't understand something, you could kind of look it up and, and someone would say, hey, here's another way to look at this. And maybe you'd watch that and think, oh, okay. And then you'd walk back into class the next day with at least some sense of where it was going. And so I described this to uh, a college roommate, uh, Steve, uh, in the summer of 05. And, and he said, wow, you know, you should do that. I said, yeah, that'd be kind of cool. He said, no, no, it's really important. I think you should do that. I said, yeah, maybe I'll, I'll teach uh, part-time someday and, and try to make it happen. He said, no, 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 I'll help you make it happen. And, uh, and, and said, like, you know, I'll make this donation, but you'll have to get, you know, like 501c3 status and blah, blah, blah. Well, you know, but that's, that's not where I understood that conversation to be going. And, and so when he, and he said that, I was kind of floored. And, and where I grew up in southern Arkansas, or at least most of my growing up, uh, that's what we would call a poop or get off the pot moment. Right. And so, so I went back to California and I bought a book called How to Start a Nonprofit Corporation in California filed everything, and in and, and, and spring of 06, I got my 501c3 determination, and Steve sent the donation along, and that, that gave me the, the start I need to get the business going. But I, I had never started a business, right? It was just one of those things that I thought, wow, that'd be cool. And, and sometimes in life, you know, things kind of come together such that your idea has the chance to, uh, to get going. And fortunately for me, you know, my, my, con- <laughs> my Trinity connections help make it happen. So you, you practice what you preached, right? I mean, it's, it's not just innovating and doing something in the classroom and acting on those ideas to then further your teaching or further the sort of, you know, success that the students have. But you then said, well, I guess I'm going to do this myself and I'll start my own nonprofit. And this was 2005, 2006. This was before Khan Academy. This is before YouTube. You really were out there at the beginning, sort of really sort of 
out there alone as a trailblazer. What was that experience like in sort of those first years, sort of trying to get this content out and doing something that at this point was sort of unheard of and untested? Yeah, you know, it, it's it's very much the case that that all, my ideas originally uh, had to shift in order for things to succeed. Uh, so I started about the same time as YouTube. You, you, YouTube has done very well. Let's, let's recognize that. <laughs> but, um, but but when when I started, I thought the revenue that would run the nonprofit would come from being the perfect grant partner. Every grant needs a, a way to disseminate the benefits of the funding. And partnering with a with a, an educational video library that offers things for free and in a compelling way, I mean that's a no brainer, right? Well, in 2008, the world economy crashes. Right. Very convenient for my plans, um, and and that that kind of <laughs> led to a lot of drying up of uh, of grants. However, the other challenge I was dealing at, with at the time was getting people to create videos and and submit them. So I, I spent some of the money that I had going to conferences to explain how how easy it is to make videos, because people then didn't know, people still largely don't know how easy it is to make videos, uh, and, and explaining what, how, how compelling this, this can be as a learning activity for kids, and blah, blah, blah. Well, so I'd go to these conferences, I'd present these sessions, and people would come up to me and say, that was great. Oh, thanks. You know, they say, could you come and speak at our school? So, uh, yeah. How much do you charge? Hmm, let me get back to you, because I didn't know, right? And so I had to figure those kinds of things out, but fast forward, now, 93 to 94% of the revenue that runs my nonprofit comes from the work I do as a speaker and trainer. I've spoken to over 100,000 teachers in the last decade you know, to help them you know, see new possibilities for their work, use technologies in, in ways that they may not have imagined for bringing the best out of students. And, and it's just it's really fun. But, but at core, I ended up having to do something that I hadn't imagined would be a part of it originally. And I think that that's another Silicon Valley lesson, that, that you shift as you learn. Right. And, and that that's a part of good learning as well. Hello, this is Danny Anderson, president of Trinity University. Thank you for listening to the Learning Together podcast series, brought to you by Trinity's Office of Alumni Relations and Development, and produced here on campus by our friends at KRTU 91.7 FM. We're so glad you tuned in today, and we appreciate your continued support of lifelong learning at Trinity University. Welcome back to the Learning Together podcast from Trinity University. I'm Nathan Cohn. Let's return to the conversation with Rushton Hurley and Luis Martinez. So in your, in your pivot to sort of how your nonprofit experienced and, and now you're actually going out and, and talking with teachers, I mean, it's, it's really interesting that a lot of the lessons that you talk about with regards to helping teachers be better teachers or lessons that you can apply for any leader of any organization, whether she's a CEO or whether or not he's directing a program. So what is it that makes a really effective teacher slash leader in these moments of working with these teams or in these cases that you're specifically working with students? So, so when I think of really good teachers, you know, I'm thinking of people who understand that every learner is different, right? And, you know, what's worked with one group may fail miserably for the next, right? These are people who listen and listen more than they talk, right? Uh, because they understand that that builds rapport, which allows for greater learning experiences. And they're people who are passionate and organized about what they teach, right? So, so if we're thinking about how, how this translates into uh, to good business practice, I see, I see good businesses as places where uh, 
people stay focused on their goals, their efficient operations, you know, the leaders are people who bring out the best in their team, and that that's not so different than what happens in classrooms and schools. You know, that, that you think efficiently, that you stay focused, and, and, and leaders understand that bringing out the best in, in each person is a part of making, making things work to the degree that they might. So, so from that perspective, uh, and especially because when talking with different people, I've had the chance to address uh, a lot of service groups. I'm, I'm a Rotarian, you know, things like this. I've, I've addressed groups of financial representatives. That everyone's had experiences as a learner, as a student. And so the kind of stories that, that are important in any educational setting, professionally speaking, often translate very well into people understanding what they might do to improve themselves in other settings. And that's how it's worked out. So we had an interesting conversation earlier prior to the recording of this podcast about how um, it's, it's about sort of sharing this learned experience that a teacher has in the classroom or that teachers have with each other and sharing best practices that you could actually then apply for your job in some ways that might be more impactful. Could you talk a little bit more about that sort of shared learning experience? So, so yeah, so let, let's, you know, let's think about, you know, the moments that really stand out. One of the things I ask in, in uh, making your school something special, uh, as we talk about building good learning activities to be stories of success, is how, how, do, you, how do you make learning experiences go from, uh, from weak to effective to genuinely memorable? And, and if you think back to, you know, whether it was college or high school or, or earlier, and you think of those moments that really stood out in terms of learning, those are moments where, where the, the set of things that happened allowed you to associate a number of different, a number of different pieces, and suddenly you were, you were kind of in that space of, like, that sticks. So if you're thinking in terms of memorable learning, then we're, we're back in that space of, oh, okay, what is it about great experiences that allow us to, to learn and to improve and to be part of a group in ways that might be powerful for whatever that, that group is focused on making happen? And, and I see that as the relationship. I mean, I can, I can talk in much more detail about individual stories and how they, uh, they, they might be the things that trigger thoughts about, you know, this is important to me. I want to make this happen. But, but at core... The head often knows what to do, but the heart is what gets the head to act. So it's about sharing an experience that's centered on learning as opposed to just going out on a ropes course and, you know, getting physical and jumping over that fence or getting over that wall. <laughs> so, so all of those are good things, right? Uh, you know, all of them have to do with confidence, confidence in oneself, confidence in, uh, in the other members of the team. But, but when we talk about educational experiences as a frame for talking about improvement, we are tapping into something that everybody has that isn't a part of the normal set of day-to-day -day, uh, requirements in that job. And so, so drawing upon a different set of experiences allows it for a different set of conversations. And ideally, uh, a, an ability to spot possibilities for connecting and building upon those connections that, that make new things happen within, within the group. So you would argue it, it's, it's more than just sharing an experience, or it's even more than just going to a, a, a workshop where you're sitting in a lecture for, you know, eight hours and learning the best practices about whatever. It's really about sort of sharing that learned experience with your team and with each other and, and, and focusing on, on what you gained from that? Uh, I would essentially say that when you're in that eight-hour workshop, you're learning what to do, but you may not be learning why. 
And, and the why uh, can be something that's very uh, mechanical and stayed, you know, the, the supporting you know, research for the what to do. Or it can be a why that really has to do with do you or don't you find what you are doing meaningful? And, and if what you're doing is meaningful to you, then your ability to act in that setting and, and to do so in a way that, that can be far more powerful for achieving the goals of, of, of your organization I, I just see that as being so much easier when, when people care because they find that meaning in what they do. So for me, the idea of shared experiences uh, and, and sharing learning is, is the opportunity to zero in on why you do what you do and why that matters to you. So, so finding meaning is critical. How, how do we find meaning in a shared effort? So a lot of that comes from what I would call uh, creative brainstorming, right? Uh, if people have the opportunity to, to share ideas uh, then, and learn how they talk with each other about them, then I think they can move in good directions. So, for example, one of the things that happens uh, uh, in, in a lot of Genius Hour 20% Time programs, I think of Kevin Brookhauser's book, uh, The 20-Time Project, is he talks about uh, crazy ideas, right, or the bad idea factory. Give people the chance to just toss out crazy ideas. When you ask people for good ideas, they won't give you some of their good ideas because they're worried they're not good enough. If you ask your group for crazy ideas, people will just start tossing things out there and people can start building on them. That means that, it, that for finding meaning in what they do, uh, they're really in that space where they're getting past uh, simple, simple measures, right? Whether it's uh, you know, the, the test scores for schools or sales numbers for financial reps or, or even membership numbers in a service organization. And they, they really get back to what is it that we do that's really, really interesting and it becomes the kind of story that would be compelling to anybody? And so, so that kind of brainstorming, I think, moves us in a direction to where we're talking about the why such that the meaning is much more obvious to all the participants. And so with that why and that meaning, then success follows, right? Rushton, how would you go ahead and then try to look for applying these principles of success in schools in places that are resource poor, perhaps your district is resource poor or the school perhaps doesn't have the resources it needs to be successful? So, so I think the most important things do not have to do with resources, understanding that resources are a critical piece to, to making, uh, making wonderful things happen. But, but the most important stuff really comes down to perspective and attitude. So, so some of the insights, right? Predictability breeds boredom. So if, if a kid walks into a room and, and has a good guess as to how the class is about to play out, they're probably moving into a very low gear with regard to paying attention. Right? It, it, it's when you, you put something in front of people and say, okay, so I want you to look at this, this image. Well, they, you know, That's not how most teachers start classes, starting with an image. But that's intriguing because they don't know what's coming. They don't know if it's a, a place they've seen, a place they've, they've never been to, a place that's not even on this planet. They don't know if it's a, a piece of the past, some something from just, you know, yesterday, some vision of the future. Maybe an image that has no particular relationship to the rules of physics, which is interesting, right? You know, it's interesting to get people in a space mm-hmm. where, where they, have to, they have to pay attention to see what, what's going to happen. I would also say another insight is that comfort is something of a dangerous addiction, right? Uh, you know, we need a certain amount of comfort to be creative, but too much comfort, I think, uh, you know, moves us into a space where, where we're just not pushing ourselves and where we begin to lose that sense of, of meaning, right, of, of why we do what we do. 
uh, I think that, that for any educational setting, you know, you understand that every time you teach, you learn, right, or at least if you do it right, because, because to try and find multiple ways of, of presenting topics so that more and more students will find, uh, find, find some comfort and, and confidence with, uh, with those ideas, you really have to keep pushing yourself. You know, how is it that this idea works? How else might you explain it? What are the common misconceptions, and how do I get people grappling with those? I think that uh, something that I learned uh, very early on at, at Trinity is that the more I know, the more I know I don't know, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you, you're, you're constantly encountering all kinds of things, and you keep peeling back layers of the onion, and, and there's, just, there's just more and more and more. And so having, having the, the attitude that says, I will enjoy what it is I'm learning, can, can move you to a space to where you encounter that thing. And for me, that first thing was the Japanese language. And the second thing was probably educational technology. And I feel wildly lucky that there were two such things in my life. Um, but you have to be in a space where you're excited to learn and you begin to see that the complexity of learning is something that will be interesting, fascinating for, for months, years, decades to come. Great. Thank you so much, Rushton, for this conversation. I've really enjoyed talking with you about your insight on innovation in schools and how these lessons can be applied with your work in schools and with teachers can be applied to other organizations. Pleasure to be part of it. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Learning Together podcast. I'm Nathan Cohn. Today's episode was recorded and produced by Trinity University's KRTU radio station for the Office of Alumni Relations and Development. New podcasts will be released on the last Friday of each month. For more information about our Learning Together podcast series or to suggest a topic for a future episode, please email us at alumnipodcast at trinity.edu.